0: I remotely interviewed Bryn Llewellyn from Tactivate and Move and Learn. Bryn has had such a broad experience in school and now he focuses his time on getting children to learn in active ways and the research behind that. With us all thinking about how we can use outdoor space or deliver spaced out lessons as we move into the new academic year, I thought that this would be a great topic to cover right now to give you some ideas to get learning outside of the classroom. So let's get to my chat with Bryn. So Bryn, hello. Thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast
1: today.
2: Hello, back to you. And uh, apparently we're just around the road from each other, but uh, let's stick with social distancing and uh, have a proper conversation face-to-face somewhere down the line. But meanwhile, great to be here. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yes, we are unfortunately still on Zoom and we were just saying, weren't we, that you're literally just well you're really not far away at all over in Wakefield and we're in Halifax um but the good thing is is that we can meet up in time um so I always ask everyone to start by giving me like the whole life story basically you know where we where were you born and everything like that so do you want to give me thread to the needle um how you got here today
2: okay then so uh Grew up on Tyneside, uh, South Shields, and um, when you grow up in South Shields, you get to be either a Newcastle supporter or a Sunderland supporter. I was mm-hmm. definitely on the uh, the black and white, so thank you very much for that, Dad. Uh, a great, great childhood. Um, as I say, Tyneside, right next to the beach, we were on the beach most weeks, playing football, playing cricket, just exploring the rock pools. Um and then during like weekends, we would just explore, explore, go for walks, take the boat out, whatever. And um, I think it was during those formative years that I first became interested in environmental rights, environmental issues. So I was definitely left of center. My politics, even as a, a young kid, was was green. Um, I was a, um, a coordinator of a local Friends of the Earth group, Age. 13, 14. Wow. So uh, a, bit, a, bit, a bit of a tree hugger, for want of a better term. Ground mm-hmm. Rise and Woolly Socks, for sure. Um, and I think with that background, I wanted to um, change the world. Uh, so I decided to go to a university and did a degree in environmental studies. And during that uh, degree, I sort of concentrated on uh, environmental education. And for those of you who don't know, environmental education, there are three elements to it. It's educa- it's en- education about the environment uh through the environment and for the environment so it's very much trying to promote those uh, the global awareness by acting locally and um yeah and then i decided that the only way to change the world would be to become a teacher how wrong i was there um yeah Uh, (laughs) is that not why
1: everyone does it (laughs)
2: <laughs> i think i think it is a calling for for lots of people uh yeah, yeah. people don't get into don't go into schools and education to make money that's for sure no, that's um true. but it was it was just Doing a degree in environmental studies and then working. My first job actually was uh, working in a, an urban study centre. So it was uh, in Newcastle at a converted uh, friary, so Black Friars in Newcastle. And we would go to work with schools and their school communities on environmental projects in terms of um, landscape and architecture. And we used to have children come into the city centre. and We used to do town trails, urban trails and things like that. And it was then that I really thought, okay, so I've done the degree in environmental studies. I've had this job for two years. And I thought I'd better put the practice or back the practice with some theory. So then decided to do a PGCE. Um, And then before I knew it, I was let loose on various schools. And um, as a a young male in a primary school, um, the expectation is that you become the PE lead. So yeah. tick that little box. that um, our
1: IT anyway?
2: Well, <laughs> funny enough, I was the IT coordinator <laughs> at some point, which was uh, <laughs> kind of like uh, flummoxed my parents, my family and my friends who knew me in terms of, bit of a bit of a Luddite back in those days, I must admit. <laughs> I used to get quite upset you know, people would come to you and say to you that the uh, the computer wasn't working or the printer wasn't working. And I used to think, God, I wish I was the maths coordinator because nobody goes <laughs> to the maths coordinator yeah. and says that the, the rulers aren't working properly. So I think um, back in those days with like, um, you know, we used to have like Nimbus and we used to have like uh, the, the Apple prototypes and what have you. Yeah, it was it was good grounding in terms of an introduction to the ed tech sector. But my, my main driver was... Um, bringing in artists and dramatists and musicians. So yeah, I was teacher, primary PE lead, ICT lead. Then the expectation is that you become the deputy head teacher. And I was, I was a deputy head teacher in three and a half different schools. Um, So different size schools, all in Bradford and uh, had a whale of a time. Um, As I say, lots and lots to smile about. Probably the... The best part was when you used to take the children out of their comfort zone and you would take them on 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 residential visits. And, you know, you'd be you'd be walking along the the, the track and you'd get a kid going, sir, 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 is that a real one? And you would go like, what? What do you mean? Is that a real one? And He'd go, is that a real, you know, like sheep, sir? And you would go, like, yeah, it's a real sheep. <laughs> And it was transformational. Uh, uh. It would bring children from different different schools together. And there was a, a project I remember called Mythbusters. And you would get four schools together at any one time. And um, these four schools would um, bring their own children with their own characteristics. And it was a case of challenging stereotypes.
3: Mm. And it
2: was just a blast, um, as I say, blast school that I was deputy head, head at. Yeah, I I, I resigned one deputy head post and um, with nothing to go to whatsoever. And it was a case of I need to leave and do my own thing. And then I was approached by the uh, LEA, uh, Bradford, and uh, they said, uh, we've got a school that needs you. And we've got a head teacher that's coming in and uh, we'd like you to meet him. I said, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. (laughs) <laughs> and says just meet him have a conversation. So I met up with um, with Stuart and we had a conversation and the conversation was about music and politics and politics and music, a bit of education, a lot of conversation about music and he kind of like said look I need you on the ground because the school that he was inheriting um, was two schools. So one was a one-form entry school, one was a two-form entry school um, the one form entry school had been in special measures longer than any other school in the UK, and the authority and their wow. wisdom decided to merge it with a school that was in serious weaknesses. So there was oh. the two schools were separated by a mile of industrial ack and squalor. I mean, I, but something magical happened. Um, he created a role for me on a part time basis, and then before we knew it, that part time. Uh, um, hybrid role became a full time deputy head teacher, and it was then that I thought, you know, we we had a pot of money to bring in artists and dramatists and musicians, and we had three years of creative partnership funding, and the kids there just loved it. The staff were taken out of their comfort zone, but, but they learned to embrace working in a creative fashion mm-hmm. and we had people coming in working with the children using sketchbooks to document their learning journeys. We had, um, as I say, dancers coming in to teach the children dance routines. We ended up ch- with the children performing on uh, Oddsall Stadium, you know, Bradford Bulls Ground. Mm-hmm. Owls, just so many happy memories. Um, but then... The funding was pulled and uh, it was a case of okay right so now we have to do all the things that we have to do rather than things that we want to do and we know they're the things that we like to do because they have a real genuine impact on children mm. and um, then i decided to uh, leave uh, to pursue what i do now
1: wow thank you so much so what do you do now
2: what do i do now i do lots of things <laughs> i drink a lot of coffee uh, I seem to spend a lot of time at the MacBook <laughs> yeah. at the moment um, no so so back to the story when I was a, a teacher and a deputy head teacher i was um, I loved it, but I was aware of the fact that uh, a lot of the things I was being asked to do were um, against my core values
3: mm-hmm. uh,
2: in terms of you know you 're a year six teacher, uh, and basically you get children to jump through the hoops and um, pass their SATs tests um year six teachers then were called the plasterers of the trade they were the guys the the males and the females who covered all the cracks and when we you know we send the children on with their their levels etc and uh, then ultimately you pass them on to the secondary school and they disregard everything that you've done with these children and cat test them um and I was just getting (sighs) so twound up Bit of a Yorkshire term there for you okay, so wound up by the fact that Ofsted and DfE were just getting us to become the, um, the proverbial exam factory mm-hmm. and then I thought you know I don't want to look back on life later on and think that's all I've ever done
3: mm-hmm.
2: and with the education system in the way it was at that particular time I thought it's not going to change So let's think of a way of changing it, not necessarily from within, but maybe chipping away from the outside. So, yeah, I I jumped ship, um, ended up um, uh, living down in London. The streets are not paved with gold, I hasten to add. (laughs) I had a a MacBook and went from one gallery coffee shop to another, um, writing curriculum content for different people along the way. And... When I was writing, I always had at the back of my mind about trying to do something with tag rugby. So as I said, I was teaching in Bradford and Bradford Bulls were in the ascendancy at that time. Mm -hmm. And I watched these kids, you know, girls and boys playing on the same level field. You didn't have to be a big brute of a, a boy to to be good at this game. Girls were equally good, if not better, at grabbing the tags and running off. Yeah. And I just thought, let's, let's keep that at the back of the head. Let's try to create something. So I always thought tag rugby meets Scrabble, tag rugby meets Countdown. Um, and then can we teach English and mathematics using tag rugby? So I thought, right, I'll take this to one of the people that I was writing for at that time. And they went, well, that's rubbish. It'll never work. So I thought, right, okay. So they were in Yorkshire so what...
1: then. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, funnily enough, yeah, one of them was.
1: Where the and... streets are paved, paved with gold, by the way.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe in Halifax. They're not exactly doing that in Wakefield at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I took it to them. They didn't want it. So I just developed it on my own. And, and I thought I had something that was really, really cool. And then I played it. We had some, like, beta version tags um, delivered. And we tried them with these kids. And these kids... Um, they didn't rip the game to pieces but they certainly questioned what we were doing. And then I realized that working with the children that we could create something that was very special indeed. So now I I I do what I do with Tagtivate. When I first started TagTivate in twenty twelve, um, I played at it. It wasn't a business, it was a plaything. Mm. I was um paying the mortgage, paying the um the bills by writing content for other people. And then it wasn't until 2015 2016 that we really started to um to pursue this form of learning this form of physically active learning and um yeah it's it's, it's growing not in the way that classroom secrets is growing in terms of like wow how big is that we are we're, we're very small very organic um but uh, I, I do look back in terms of where we've come from and to where we are now and i'm glad we've done it organically um because we can manage the changes and tweak things along the way yeah
1: yeah yeah sounds amazing um okay so that's um that's a lot you've done right there a lot you've done so you've talked about doing tag rugby and like linking that to math linking that to english so mm-hmm. talk me through what what would happen then in one of your lessons
2: Oh, so many ways of describing this. I always think of, when I say tag rugby, maybe people don't know what tag rugby is. So then I have to sometimes talk to people across the pond in America. They have their version. They call it flag football. We call it tag rugby. But sometimes people will understand it better if you say it's TIG or tag meets Scrabble or TIG or tag meets Countdown. So the tags for the number version all of the odd numbers are in one color, all of the even numbers are in the other color, and the third color have all the operations on, uh, including more than, less than symbols and brackets. Um, The word version is consonants one color, vowels on the next color, and digraphs, trigraphs on the third color. And so you can play the games in lots and lots of different ways. You can play it with 30 children, a whole class, with six teams competing against each other or some schools like to use it for intervention um, programs for children who maybe struggle with certain concepts of English and mathematics so when i started it off i had an idea with how it would go but then i think the best way to describe it it's like the tags are like lego building blocks so they're the things that the children play with and build so the teachers get all the lesson planning but they're just the starter lesson plans. And then the best games are created by the children and the teachers. So the children are without doubt my most innovative, creative, oh, they're just gorgeous. Some of the games that we have in the pack now, not some, I would say most of them have been developed and devised by children.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think you know, sometimes they'll send an idea through and you'll go like, that's, that's bonkers. That'll never ever work in a million years. And actually, then you look at it and you trial it and you send it to another school and then you you tweak it and you think, gee, this is absolutely amazing. So, you know, for example, I'll tell you a couple of anecdotes in terms sure. of like, up up, up in Durham, uh, a place called Edmondsley Primary School. So I rack up with um, the, the, the tags and the buckets and the belts, et cetera. And when I do an activity day, it tends to be... Um, I'll work with as many classes as I can, and then finish it off with a, um, a CPD session. So nowadays, I always start off with the older children. So we have thirty children playing this game, and then I ask the teacher to choose six of the children to be my move and learn, my tag to eight champions during the course of the day. So then they those six children stay with me for the next session. They watch me deliver a session. And then the idea is that they co-deliver the sessions as the day progresses until they deliver a session on their own. So, you know, they, they'll they be co-leading the sessions. But back to the story with Edmondsley. So these little kids in in reception, so I've got the tags with 0 to, zero to 10 scattered on the floor. And... I'm asking the children to do different things like find a number that you know, jump over it, shout out that number. Find a number that you know, do that number of claps, that number of hops, that number of jumps. And then in my naivety, um, I just said, pick up a tag and take it for a walk. Thinking that we'd pick up a tag and take it for a walk. But early years, they take things literally. So they I've
1: got a four-year-old, so I know. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> OK,
2: well, your four-year-old might well have done what these kids at Edmondsley did picked up the tag and took it for a walk like a dog. And the next thing I know, all these children are taking these tags for a walk. And the conversations were like, my dog's the same color as your dog. I'm loving this. Next thing, my dog's bigger than your dog. My dog's older than your dog. My dog's the same age as your dog. And I'm just thinking, this is genius to go from reception up to year six, because like the end of the day, I'm working with year six and um the, the children have, have got the belts on and they're running around grabbing the tags of each other you grab a tag you run back you put it in the bucket you high five your teammate they came on the pitch and um by the end of the game you've got a bucket full of tags and basically it's just a random number generator but the sweat's kicking in you know the heart's beating faster uh the the oxygen's getting into the lungs and i always remember these two little boys jack and lewis and you know, they they fill the bucket and they get given a thinking challenge and the thinking challenge for this involved putting the tags in order, but following a certain sequence. And the idea is to look for a pattern. And like these two kids just saw a pattern that I had never seen before. And I'm going like, can you explain the pattern? And they did. And I was just like gobsmacked because nobody teacher or child that I've ever worked with had seen that pattern. So in the CPD session, I was explaining this to the year six teacher. I hastened to add the year six teacher, the year six teacher hadn't attended the session because he was too busy prepping for SATs. Okay, yeah. that's that's a tale in itself. And I was like, Tigger on speed. I was like, these two boys, Jack and Lewis, they were amazing, blah, 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 blah. And I told him what I'd seen. And he went, Jack, Lewis, are you sure? Mm. They hate maths. And I was going, well, that's what they might be like in the classroom but they're certainly not showing that in the in the yeah. hall and I think sometimes when you take the learning out of the classroom beyond the classroom walls learning takes place in a different way completely
3: mm.
2: and you know another example from a school down in Leicester and uh I do I do I do I can't do this on my own so I will always partner up with with good people and good organizations so uh Last week, I was working with Leeds United and their football foundation. Mm-hmm. They they get what I do and they've got their own set of the, the tags and the buckets and the belts, etc. But earlier on in the season, earlier on in the term, <laughs> sorry, season term. Um, Has there I was working been a with, season? <laughs> it, it's a bit Groundhog Day at the moment, isn't it? Every day merges in. Um, so, yeah, back to the story with Leicester. So working with Leicester city and their football foundation, we were working with like a group of 20 kids and they were deemed hard to reach. And I'd never met these kids before, but I had 45 minutes with them and you could see them coming in with a little bit of attitude for want of a better term. we played the game and um, this little lad at the end of it, sweat dripping off him, big beam and smile. And he turns to, turns to Ryan from Leicester city foundation and me and he says, yeah, I used to think I was rubbish at maths, but now I know I'm not. And I'm just yeah. going like, that is probably, you know, one of the best accolades tag will ever get. You know, we've yeah. had research, it's gone to Nestor, and Nesta's given it level five, and we've we've shared the research on so many levels using accelerometers and, like, randomised control tests and gold standardised, all this high-brow technical stuff, which you need but that to me, that smile and that comment, just like it that, that's the justification for why I do what I do.
1: I love that it's a long term thing. It's not, it's not you turn up for a day and the children experience it once. It's, it's you turning up and, and kind of teaching them a new way and getting them to, so it's kind of like a project, isn't it? I guess if the, if you've got schools who are then telling you new ideas so that then you can pass yeah. it on you're almost like a facilitator even though it's your creation
2: oh yeah but i mean like one person can't do it on their own and um, i'm a man of a certain age now i'm aware of the fact that i have have to pass (laughs) the baton on to the next runner who's going to be running faster but also in terms of um it's like when the children create a game Mm. so and and building on mistakes uh, this is an anecdote that i share quite a lot but working with a school down in lordship lane and harringay and i thought i'd created the most brilliant game remember like um uh follow me cards
1: yeah in yeah, math so you've got the question like on one game, side
2: yeah. yeah like the loop game you've probably got them in in classroom yeah, secrets do, do. so i thought i would do a great big giant version of that with big number sentences on one side of the plate like paper dinner plates and the answer on the other side and then I didn't realize that I'd not looped them properly and I'm thinking oh for goodness sake schoolboy error rookie error here completely so I explained to these kids and these kids were probably year five and they went don't don't worry sir we'll create a game out of it I says are you sure these are the paper plates and they went oh yeah yeah we'll do that so they played the game of uh, fill the bucket and they had all of the tags in the bucket. And then they got the, the the plates with the sums and put them onto the hall floor. And then they decided that it would be a nice idea to match the tags to the sums that were written on the plates.
3: Mm. So
2: bear in mind, some of the sums didn't make the correct answers in terms of... So, you know, I'm trying to give you an example, a sum that would give an answer for 33, but the kids didn't have tag number 33,
3: yeah. but they
2: had it a three and 11 and they knew if they crossed them over to multiply them that would make 33 and they put the red tag and the yellow tag next to each other next to the plate so they've got this gorgeous little game that they've created called tomato ketchup and mustard because the yellow tags and the red tags next to the plate and every time like a, a school that I see online plays that game we we share it with the school that's created it so those kids yes. in in Haringey get kind of like you know they, they walk a little bit taller because a game that they created has been played by children in another school yeah. in another part of the UK or maybe even abroad so it's it is probably one of the most rewarding jobs i do you know i've i've given up on the security of um, a salary and a pension and a holiday yes but <laughs> at least what i'm doing it, it sticks to my core values and you know there are more and more people coming on board now more and more people are beginning to listen and they don't they're they're beginning to realize now that it's not a gimmick you know we've got science behind it we've got research behind it that proves that yes it it increases activity levels and decreases sedentary time but also it's having an impact on cognition and academic performance so I left teaching because I got hacked off by the fact that it was sat, sat, sats, maths, English, maths, English. But ultimately what I'm doing is trying to make English and mathematics a little bit more fun, a little bit more active and a bit more relevant. But also it's being able to increase academic performance. So, you know, we've had had one round of research done so far by Leeds Beckett University, uh, Professor Andy Daly-Smith, and his research proved that if you took part in an active lesson, your academic performance increased slightly. And, you know, there were a lot of people out there who claim, oh, buy our product and your reading scores will go through the roof.
3: Mm. And you
2: know full well it could be a case study and there's other things that come into into play there. But because Andy's research methods were, like, so succinct and on the ball, it meant that we could show that those... Those progress elements were purely down to the physical activity,
3: mm. and
2: we do know that you know, like Brailsford from Team Sky as was, it's about those marginal gains. yeah if we keep on repeating marginal gains, they become substantial over time. So yeah. ultimately, I might you know I, I am thinking the tactactivate and the physically active learning approaches appeal to certain people on one level in terms of the energy, the enthusiasm, the engagement. But ultimately, if it's going to benefit your your SAT scores, if that's how you're going to judge your school, this will make a difference to those academic performances and levels too.
1: Yeah. And I think just from that point of view, personally, like for adults, I'm like I'm into personal development and mindset and and I do kind of assess what, what makes you more successful, what makes you um able to tackle the be more productive in the day and I think this is kind of useful information for adults as well like if I know that I was gonna do a really big important piece of work straight after doing some kind of exercise if it was going to be easier and sometimes it's it's like the marginal gain but also knowing that will be the result and when you know mm-hmm. that's the result you believe it and then do you see what I'm saying it's in your mindset as well
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, like during lockdown, as I say, I've been um, writing and spending so much time on the MacBook there. Um, And you think if you stare at the screen long enough, the magic will happen. But then if you just take yourself off for a jog or, you know, you don't have to go for a jog or a bike ride. You just have to go for a walk and just, you know, soak up, not necessarily rays, but just take in some outdoor uh, fresh air. And it does, it works. I think back to when I was a deputy head teacher, probably the best, most productive SLT meetings we had were when we did it while walking. So yeah. the SLT would like, you know, leave the, the the meeting room and go for a walk, and that's when the the real magic happened.
1: Yeah, we've um, we've had walking meetings before, and um, it's something that Steve Jobs did a lot actually. Okay. Um, he did walking meetings, and um, I had Anna Lucas on the podcast, and I can't remember the statistic. But basically, when you're outside, you're taking a percentage more oxygen in anyway, mm. um, which is why it's good for children to play out um, every break time, even if it's raining. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, it's spitting. It's spitting. Let's not yeah. take them outside. But it, it is. I mean, like, I, I'm i very fortunate to work alongside Dr. Andy Daly-Smith and people like Dr. Tom Quornby, uh, Jade Lynn Morris, all these fantastic people at Leeds Beckett University. And they, they explain everything with science because that's their job. I just explain it. I just say, it's magic. I says, you've just got to watch yes. these children. And when I'm doing the activity days, you know, the, the teachers that watch me and then co-deliver the sessions with me, you know, they'll turn to me and they'll, they'll just say, this is so easy.
3: Yeah.
2: I wish I'd thought of it. And that to me is a bit of an accolade as well. But when you see the children flowing and that you, you know, you see the teamwork and the cooperation and the um and the competition comes into it as well when they're high five in each other. And, you know, even children who maybe get turned off by PE, they mm-hmm. see it as a game, it's not P E. Yeah. And even those reluctant reluctant P E type children, they get involved in it as well. It's 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 kind of like yeah. A bit of maths and English by stealth, but also a bit of PE by stealth as well, by gamifying it as well.
1: Mm. So you've talked, um you've mentioned obviously research. So how important mm. is it for children to be active and how often should they be active?
2: Well, um the chief medical officer for England, uh, there's a magic thirty thirty figure. So for a primary age child you're looking at thirty minutes activity at school and thirty minutes at home. Um, Obviously, if you know your school, you know your children, you'll know full well that will be certain children who aren't going to hit that 30 Mm. minutes at home. So I would encourage all schools to try to go for that 60 minutes per day. Mm. And the chief medical officer talks about, she talks about extracurricular activities and she talks about PE. She talks about break times. And if you watch children at break time, you'll get some kids who are like boom, 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 running around the playground. But you get quite a lot of children who don't use the play time for that. And quite right. So because like we can't expect children to be active all the time. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes that that playtime scenario is a time to communicate and talk and <laughs> without running around um She also talks about active lessons, and I think this is where the the TACTIVATE program comes in in terms of activating English and mathematics, so it's not p e it's not sport, and you know I would say to schools. Do your PE, do your sport, do the, you know, if you can get two hours a week, brilliant. Wouldn't that be great? Mm -hmm. But don't do physically active learning as part of your two hours. Have it as an addition to Mm -hmm. your two hours. And I've been lucky to work with some um, independent schools as well. And you go into these schools and yes, they've got small class sizes. And you know what the difference is? Not just the class sizes, but the the importance of PE and sport. Mm
3: -hmm. So these
2: kids aren't doing something, you know, once a week or twice a week they're doing something every day that involves either sport and or the arts and like the playing field is far far from level on that score um but yeah so the question is is it important for children to be physically active yeah i mean like the the the, the stats i think the the international research shows that it's um 50 of children um aren't sufficiently active and then you look at westernized countries it's 80 percent so you're looking at four out of five children in the uk in the us and other westernized countries are not getting enough physical activity and then if you look in terms of the um the stats so like age five six seven we're doing fine with our physical activity levels but then at age seven something dramatic happens and it cuts out and i did a training session with the school in uh, in bradford and uh, one of the teachers said, it's SATs, isn't it? It's phonic screening. That's what's to blame. And I went, well, actually, it might be that, but I think chances are it's the sedentary lifestyle in terms of that's when the Xbox kicks in, that's when the PlayStation and the game games kick in that way. And then in terms of the the, the importance of it, um, if you look at the, the, the figures for obesity, um, you know we've got more and more children leaving primary school classified as obese or overweight mm-hmm. they're uh becoming obese and overweight earlier and staying obese and overweight for longer and then the um the other element is the the socio-economic deprivation side of it so before before lockdown in fact um no, actually before Christmas, I was working with a school in Harrow. So Monday, Tuesday was a school in Harrow and these kids, affluent area of North London, and they rack up for the PE sessions, sorry, the Physically Active Learning sessions in their their hoodies and the sweatshirts. And they've got the, the tennis club badge, the swimming club badge, the football, the rugby club badge on their sweatshirts. And these kids are live and athletic and they're running around and they engage with the Physically Active Learning. Brilliant. So two days working with them. Not the best plan in the world ever was uh, day three, which was working with a school in Cumbria. So, six hour drive wow,
1: Yeah, to Cumbria.
2: Yeah, um, yeah not the best plan. You obviously need a but PA
1: to arrange your life. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, I just figured it would make sense. And I thought the Lake District, well, it it wasn't. It was Workington. And no disrespect <laughs> to Workington, but it's not exactly Keswick, is it? Um <laughs> And I rack up with this, the this, this, this school is in the middle of an estate and the uh, um, the estate just goes on for miles and miles. It was one of the biggest estates I've ever been to. And the, I arrive at the school and the staff are gorgeous. I mean, like, you know, Westfield Primary School up in Workington, a big up to them completely. They go beyond everything I've ever seen in terms of going the extra mile. It's cliched, but that's what they do for their, their kids and their families. But as the children are coming into the sessions in the hall, I'm aware of the fact that uh, I have to get the adult Velcro belts out on some of the children mm. who were in year four. And again, it's this economic, uh, this socioeconomic situation. So in the old days, in the Tudor times, it would be the the rich that were large and the poor that are skinny, whereas that's kind of flipped on its head now completely. Mm. Yeah. Um and yeah it, it comes down to diet it comes down to nutrition but a lot of it comes down to the fact that we sit down on our backsides for so so long yeah. um and i'm just i'm just thinking I'm, i i will go off an amazing run and you might join in with me on this one but in in lockdown joe wicks yeah mm. he he's he's there on the screen he's got he's got kids he's probably got more mums than kids involved in the program but you know what i'm saying everybody yeah. was Joe Wicks this and Joe Wicks that. And the kids were bouncing. And yeah, we might have had a couple of broken arms or whatever because they were bouncing around so much. But you know what? He challenged the sedentary lifestyle. He got yeah, the kids yeah. off the couches, off the sofa. He got the parents involved in it. He made a mistake by claiming he was going to be the nation's PE teacher. Big mistake there because, of course, there was a, a bit of a Twitter pile on in terms of call yourself a PE teacher. That's not PE, it's personal training. And yeah, I get that. but. He's not a PE teacher, it's a PT and he's made money on the back of it, but all credit to what he's done, yeah, he's, he's challenged the right lifestyle. sedentary yeah. yeah. lifestyle. And he, yeah. he talks about not just the physical element, but he talks about the emotional wellness as well, and he talks about diet, and he talks about nutrition. So what's yeah. not to, to like about him in terms of, as I say, promoting physical and emotional well-being. So
1: yeah. big up to I Joe guess- there. Yeah, and do you know what? I think it, he did what he thought would be beneficial for everyone. And, and mm-hmm. I think it was. We definitely tried it the first week. It was a bit old for him. Um, I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So mm-hmm. after that, we went with cosmic yoga. Um, but, you know, she likes that as well. And the the two-year-old will, like, just stick a bum in the air <laughs> and put <laughs> hands on the floor, maybe every fifth move, you know, like they do but yeah. it's it's getting them into that isn't it yeah. um, so so we've talked a little bit about um being outside and i'm just thinking so there'll be teachers now that are finishing and then they'll be going back to school in september and as far as we know at the moment things aren't going to be back to normal as such but you know there's going to be no distancing in primary and things but i do feel that maybe there'll be teachers that want to have their lessons outside more mm. have you got any anything you want to share for teachers who might be like i this is the first time i've heard of anything like this it sounds really good are there any quick things that maybe they could try
2: uh, i can give you some tried and tested ideas because um okay obviously i've been sat down at the macbook but i've been trialing uh, different ideas for teaching in bubbles and teaching in pods
3: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, i've actually worked with two different schools so i worked with one school last week with the uh, Leeds united foundation with their um their year six bubble and you've got to remember in terms of like we, we try to pivot in different situations yeah, yeah so if you think about the the tag rugby element the kids have got the the belts around the waist and they're running around grabbing the tags of each other getting sweaty getting close that isn't allowed well it was deemed it wasn't going to be allowed at all so then we thought non-contact sports let's take the uh, the belts off the children wrap them around the trees or the goalposts or the benches, and then stick the uh, the tags on the belts. And then the children go from one tree to bench to goalpost to station to the other. So just think like orienteering with maps or maybe without maps, and the children go from one station to the next to the next. So we've got a gorgeous, gorgeous pack of games there um, called Tree Tag, and Tree Tag is just so versatile um and you don't need to use the tags you could use scrabble tiles you don't need to use the number tags you could use number uh, you know uh, playing cards you could use uh, digi cards so many different ways so there's ways to do that my my big concern is that many schools will um look towards say the daily mile the daily distance
3: mm-hmm.
2: um the daily kilometer call it what you want but if you force the children to do a daily distance like it's it's happened with the daily mile in terms of it becomes the once in a while mile or the occasional mile, because yeah. certain children, if I had to run every day at a certain time, come rain or shine, I'd get well hacked off with that. So I would say if you're gonna do a daily distance, mix it and mash it with something different. So as you'd running, you know, you could chant your time's tables or before you start running you could talk about a character in a book and then as the children are running they can run around with a pair you know a meter plus or whatever it is uh, and they discuss the character in the book or you could link it to philosophy for children in terms of okay guys is it ever all right to steal so that's the question and as you're running your distance um could you discuss that either in your own head or with a partner then you've finished your daily distance you sit down with your class and you, you discuss what you thought as you were running about, is it ever all right to steal? Um, we, we've done tag-to-date games with the Daily Mile where we've got, and you could do this with Scrabble tiles, so you've got a whole load of consonants on wall, one part of the, the running area and um, vowels on the other side. So every time they run past, they pick up a, t- a tag or a mm-hmm. tile, and by the end of it, they've got a, a lot of tags or tiles with letters on. Then can they create words to do with... Um, healthy lifestyles healthy living the topic that they're doing um doing it that way um so i would say daily distance is good but you have to mix and match it i think orienteering is great to get children outside and doing physical activity i would say skipping uh is a brilliant one give each child a skipping rope you know pound land or wherever you're going to buy your you skipping ropes from there's organizations out there such as skipping school they're based in leeds they can give tuition there's lots of people around the uk that would do likewise um you you, you mentioned cosmic kids yoga yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. yoga
2: yeah. how cool would yoga be in terms of during physical distancing or social distancing each child has their space and we can do mm-hmm. yoga yeah. likewise dance i think dance is probably the ultimate physical activity going. Uh, it links to maths. It links to counting. Mm. Uh, it links to creativity. Um, so many opportunities for dance, um, yoga. I've said already. Athletics would lend itself um, to those traditional sports and activities that way. Um, if there's any teachers who want to take the learning outside. And they want a bit of a a bible for want of a better term or a a guidebook there's a a lady called juliet robertson Um, she's got a couple of books on crown house and independent thinking so she's got one one's called uh, messy maths which is great Mm -hmm. but the best one is called dirty teaching and it's about empowering teachers to take learning beyond the classroom and i get it and i read it and i reread it and why do i reread it because it just makes so much common sense and I'll always like you know reread it and pick up another nugget of information. Yeah. Um, and there's so much stuff out there to encourage and enthuse teachers and guide them as well and support them. There's um, there's a, a guy who does another podcast. You might have come across him, Ryan Ellis. He does the PE Umbrella.
3: No, no, I've no, not
2: he's been doing it for quite a few years now so it's all he started off about PE and then sport now he's talking about physical activity and he interviews people from across the UK and UAE and Australia and America so he's quite a nice one he's interviewed two head teachers in the last year and a half one is a lad called Chris Willen from Water Primary School and he has just changed his school around completely so that one day a week the children always come in the PE kits so that is their PE day so one day it'll be year one one day it'll be year two one day it'll be year three etc so that that um, presence of PE and sport and physical activity is always in the school so I think that might be a nice way forward for schools to to start
1: it's funny isn't it because I'm just thinking what you're saying about the daily mile and I know that generally that decision is made by the leadership in school but, and we're happy to do that, however long that takes, a daily mile. But when you think, when I think back to my sort of teaching days, I think what we're worried about is the time that they're doing the physical activity. So say, for example, you're talking through some of those lessons. I feel like in some ways teachers are worried about, yeah, but what are they doing with the mind when they're doing the running part of it? You know, if they're running to get a letter and coming back. Mm. And it's funny that because we don't seem to think there's a problem with thinking time. And when I think back to early lockdown I actually had um before we were, before we were allowed to have anyone like the first i think it was the first day to be honest um had my nephew here and doesn't particularly like worksheets or anything like that, so I just had him um writing some um some spellings that he needed to do, but I made him run to one side of the garden and run back and write it and and the thing is he did it. And it's just so simple and I think if I thought about that now and he had to write on a worksheet, he definitely wrote it faster. It it happened Mm -hmm. a lot faster. And I think as teachers, we're so worried about, yeah, but we're we're giving over all that learning time to running or Mm -hmm. doing something physical. And I think that's probably where we need some kind of mindset change or at least to know that leadership think that's okay.
2: Yeah in terms of, it's funny that you mentioned that about the running around um that as i say i used to be a teacher and school leader and because of that i'm still a member of the uh, national association of head teachers the NAHT. so mm-hmm. two years ago myself and um ian who's the the head teacher at Thorner primary school we were asked to write a motion proposal about physically active learning so it was it was that that year's annual conference was in liverpool and it's a massive auditorium all the school leaders are there with their their voting pads and you go up onto the lectern and you pitch your um your proposal and it was about embracing physically active learning solutions for health and education and would they signpost their colleagues towards these solutions and uh, innovations and like 9 out of 10 head teachers said yes we'll do it so the motion was carried this is brilliant 'Cause I reckon four or five years ago we wouldn't have had that, but now it's it's to the fore. And then after that, um, there were two newspaper reports on it. So the independent was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. The telegraph was not so gorgeous because their headline was let them run around the classrooms, head teachers urged. And I'm like looking at Ian, and Ian's looking at me, and I'm going, like, Did you say that? I didn't say that. Did you say that? And no, and like like the naive fool that I was, I read the headline, I read the online report, and then I read the online comments. And my, my advice to anybody, if there's a, critic, a critical story about it, you, never read the online comments because it gets worse. Yeah, so yeah. according to the people who contribute to the online comments, I'm, I am insane. I am an idiot. I'm a man who's the epitome of everything that's wrong with the education system. Um, and like, I was like really shell-shocked that I could get mm-hmm. so much flack for something that I believe in passionately. And then Andy Daly-Smith, who I've referenced already from Leeds Beckett University, he went on and answered every single comment and answer, answered it with research and science. And not a single person came back to him because they couldn't
3: no, refute the argument
2: yeah um so yeah in terms of like trying to persuade policy makers and decision makers so Dr Andy Daly Smith and myself we we were lucky to be invited to do a, a TEDx talk on the back of his first round of research
3: mm-hmm. and
2: we shared that and um so that was 2018 now 2 years ago wow that's flown but it's quite nice in terms of we always try to signpost post school leaders to that And and government ministers, you know, we we keep on saying to Amanda Spielman, you know, online and various people like you know Gavin Williamson, we suggest that they look at this video and look at the research. They never get back to us, but I would like secretly they they you know they're they're watching these videos and looking at the research and yeah
3: yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And I just think it's about being empowered, isn't it? I, I think from my perspective, if I knew that that was if it was okay then I'd have loved doing all things like that but it's knowing that that's okay in your school and and your leaders agree and and that kind of thing but I've, since then I've done a lot of um a lot of work on on mindset and personal development and now I can totally see I can I understand it if you see what I mean from a different perspective that that I didn't then so just find it really, really interesting. And it would be nice to, because there's so much you can do in an active way. You just need to think outside the box, don't you?
2: Yeah. And like, once you start playing, if, you, if you're using one approach and then you realise that you can use that same approach with another lesson. So I've mentioned that we've got like tagtivate number and eight word. So the word version, I always thought was going to be an active way of delivering SPAG, all the, the spelling, punctuation and grammar that we have to do. And then I was watching these children and like, so working, I realized that you could use it in other elements, other curriculum areas too. So you're playing the game, fill the bucket. The kids have run around, grab the tags of each other. They've got a bucket full of tags and you just say to them, okay, guys, what's your topic at the moment? And so the other, you know, before lockdown, it was a case of year four, what's your topic at the moment? world war ii okay right okay world war ii this is going to be interesting it says you've got all these tags all these letters in your buckets can you create words to do with the topic to show me what you know about world war ii and we had these kids using the letters you know your your, your vowels your your consonants and your digress trigress that they've grabbed and suddenly you've got children spelling neville chamberlain admittedly it was spelt wrong but it was quite an impressive attempt but then you've got these other kids and yes some of them had written the word hitler but then you've got allies and axis and enigma and i was going like you've lost me there what 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 does allies mean and they went well the allies are the good people and the axis are the bad people and i says what about enigma what's that about and they were explaining their subject knowledge of what they discovered in the classroom so it was a Mm -hmm. way of like reinforcing what they'd learned in a way of exploring and sharing that knowledge as well so it's not wishy-washy it's not gimmicky this actually demonstrates the knowledge element as well as 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 well as the playfulness
1: yeah and it's that practice element isn't it once they've once they've done that in an active way and they've taught you mm-hmm. then the you know they're bound to remember it then after that oh. yeah. Yeah. Oh, I and like then that.
2: the the, yeah, the other spin off. So, we've done geography, history, science, etc. So, I'm very fortunate in terms of the, um, the Tag to Fate programmes being given two global awards. So, last year I was able to go to, um, to Helsinki to receive the award, but also to take the Tag to Fate program to schools in Helsinki. So, Helsinki's in Finland and I've prepared the lesson in okay. Finnish. Yeah. And I'm thinking this is pretty cool. I rack up at the school and there's like, the children, the teachers, visiting people from all over the world and a TV crew from America. And then I'm handing the stuff out and talking to them. And these kids are looking at me blankly and I'm going like, what's up, what's up? And they went, you've done this in Finnish. We're a Swedish speaking school. Oh "Oh, my goodness. So dig yourself out of a hole, Llewellyn. Um, So we realised that we could like pivot there within that lesson. And the letters that I was going to do for... Teaching English and Finnish were then used to teach English and Swedish, so we yeah. got little stickers and we've got the the dry white pens to add the the accents and stuff like that. so now we've realized that you can teach languages other than English through the tag to fake word program yeah. so if a school buys the word tags, not only do they get active spag but they can get active science, geography history, and foreign languages as well so yeah.
1: there you go, you see all these ideas um, and yeah. okay so as an advocate for the environment then so you've obviously mentioned that before how do you think we can use technology to support the environment and children in times like this i'm just thinking a lot about it's been a lot of online learning you know how how do you think we could move forward
2: Yeah, as i say that's that's the reason why i got into education in the first place in terms of wanting to save the world and think about the planet i think that the, the young lady that's doing everything so well at the moment, known as Greta Thunberg, her message. I think you've got more and more children looking towards her in primary, not just, mm. you know, older children, but primary as well. And the amount of times I go into schools and you see displays on the wall to do with, um, you know, uh, oceans and plastic and and things like that. Um, and I think there's a natural in a lot of children that we need to start thinking and doing more for the environment so I've mentioned Leeds United Foundation and I know that the um the Premier League and their Premier League foundations and trusts and their their communities they've got you know that they, they used to have this reputation as a football coaches would turn up with a bag of balls and they would do football 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 mm. but you'll find with that investment from sky and other people they're doing far more stuff in the of in, in the world of uh raising awareness for the environment so they you know there's some fantastic online resources there um to just to find out more about the world because obviously, you know, when I was a kid, I would find out about the world through a book or maybe television with limited okay. channels. Whereas now with the internet, you can find out about any yeah.
3: biome
2: or any um, environment or habitat that you want to find out about in terms of what's happening to it, how can we protect it, etc. Um, so I would certainly look towards, you know, the, those those environmental agencies, whether or not it's Greenpeace Or Oxfam or whoever they've all got environmental and education programs and there's great material out there um yeah so it's about using that technology to to find out about the environment and to protect it and campaign stuff you know when I was a teacher it was a case of like oh let's make a poster okay yeah we can make posters but with technology we can make all sorts of like animated books we can make films we can use tiktok we can use all these different sort of like (laughs) edtech platforms to share knowledge and awareness and what we can do about it you know this is these are exciting times in terms of you know you look at the protests that we've had recently in terms of that raising awareness of black lives matters and you know I would love to think that we're at a tipping point, a turning point whereby people look towards what could be rather than what has been
1: yeah yeah absolutely um okay then so you you've talked a lot about pivoting um mm-hmm. and you've kind of mentioned it, so what do you think is important for a teacher to know um in terms of pivoting like how can a teacher apply that in the lessons what what does
2: it mean? What's, why is it important? Um, in terms of pivot, it tends to be a business term, and I'd never come across the term pivot before until I left teaching. And then, obviously, with, with the programme that I've developed, I've had to pivot a number of times in terms of uh, one approach, one a game doesn't go, so it doesn't work, so you've got to ditch it. Uh. Well, you don't ditch it, you put it to one side,
3: yeah. and then
2: you try to readdress it. In terms of, like, the... The current situation in terms of teaching and a pandemic you know we've never been faced with anything like this before and i think the, the the pivot for the teacher is we have to blend the analog with the digital and those children who've been coming into the school we have to to welcome them back we have to think of their emotional wellness before we sit them down and teach them we've got to think in terms of what are their worries what are their wobbles what are their concerns and go back to maslow's hierarchy of human needs we have to tap into you know, their 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 beliefs, their feelings and their thoughts. Um, obviously, we can't do that all the time. So to me, we have to think of the best ways of teaching. Are we going to use analog? Are we going to use digital? Are we going to use a blend of both? And I think teachers need to realize um, that it's okay to miss, make mistakes right. and you'll try something and it doesn't work. Then so what? It didn't work. Yeah. at least you've tried and then you've got to reflect on it in terms of well why did it not work was it a b c or d or was it something else but i always i always remember when i was a teacher especially in a year six teacher and you would ask the children for feedback not at the end of every lesson because that'd get tiresome and boring and it'd just get it'd become a tick box exercise but if you have chances for the children to give you feedback on what is it like to learn and then sometimes in terms of can you can you see your own teaching for the eyes of the learner that you're trying to teach i think that gives you a genuine chance to reflect and maybe pivot
3: yeah
2: i'm thinking of an example from when i was a deputy head teacher we used to do this system and it was called learner shadowing and it sounds very dark and very murky <laughs> however the idea would be that as a deputy head teacher i would work with seven children from each class and it would be for want of a better term um more able someone who was struggling someone middle uh sen eal new to english and the teacher could always choose the seventh child and we would talk with the children with the books and we would talk about um what what it was like to be a learner in that particular classroom and you know we asked permission from the children if we could fill in these These interviews, and if they said yes, we would then share the films with the teachers. And quite often, once the teachers heard the feedback from the children, they acted upon the feedback from the children rather than the SLT. Yeah, yeah. Because it was and I do think teachers, if we had more time, we could do this.
3: Mm. But
2: teachers are so incredibly busy
3: Mm.
2: because of you know, external agencies, and I include DFE in there, I include Ofsted in there. Um, I think if teachers and school leaders were allowed to get on with the job, if they were trusted in the way that the Finnish uh, government ministers trust their teachers and other countries trust their teachers and don't use education as a a political pawn, we'd have a far better um, workforce. And we'd have far happier children. And you look towards the Scandinavian countries. And I know that people refer to Finland as the F word in education. So I know that Nick Gibb calls Finland the F word in education. But ultimately, they're doing a pretty good job over there. Mm. And I think we do need to look in terms of there are other ways. And it doesn't have to be test, test, test. And I know why we test it. There are, there are political reasons behind that, but I think it would be gorgeous to think if certain people within the, the powers that be could just sit back and reflect and think, is everything we've done the past 10, 12 years the right thing? Yeah. And if they could put their hands up and say, honestly, hand on heart, maybe we could have done something slightly differently. So maybe ministers can pivot as well as teachers
1: yes and you know the reason why I asked you that question is because obviously you know we mentioned before it's very much a business term and used a lot right now in the pandemic you know can you pivot your business but I think in the classroom I think back to my my days teaching and I didn't just teach um in school I did I did did different um bits of teaching as well maybe before I was a teacher like I did holiday clubs I used to actually teach performing arts I used to do a lot of dancing and you did have to pivot that way. And I think my worry is that now in the classroom, that seen as that wasn't an Ofsted lesson because I wouldn't have been, do you see what I mean? Mm. And it's kind of taken away our ability to, to try things out because, you know, everything in business is a test. You, mm. you don't know really what the outcome is. You have a theory of what you think it might be and you work towards the right thing, but you don't mm. necessarily know. And I think, that is the trust thing that we've talked about isn't it being able to to have that um autonomy to do the pivots um and Mm. to be able to think in that way um just Mm. because we've obviously touched on um workload if you could wave a magic wand how would you solve the life-work balance problem
2: oh my goodness that's a real curveball there one wish um yeah I think it harks back to what I've just said there in terms of if DFE and Ofsted and the powers that be would just trust the school leaders. Mm. You know, they know their communities, they know their teachers, they know their children, trust them and let them support each other. Um, you know, I, I, I had a meeting with DFE about P and sport premium funding and I was you know, invited down to Westminster, and I turned up in my suit and my tie. Unbeknownst to me, it was Dress Down Friday. And uh, <laughs> I was the only man in Westminster, I think, in DFE that day, wearing a suit. And I was walking to the meeting, and it was to discuss PE and Sport Premium funding. And the two young lads that were, were walking me down the corridor, um, I just said, you know, in my innocence and naivety, I said, is your background primary or secondary? And they looked at each other and smiled. And then they said to me, you know, we've never worked in schools. And I do think.
3: Yes.
2: My magic wish isn't necessarily children-related, teacher-related school leaders. It's, it's, it's higher than that.
3: Mm-hmm. I just
2: wish that they would just step back. And during the pandemic, we've had so much teacher bashing and teacher shaming. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: You know, I, I know people, you know, who are big on Twitter, whether or not it's Chris Dyson. I also know school leaders who are quiet and they just get on with the job of serving their school community. And I know who I would trust more.
1: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. There has been. So so that's my
2: magic wish. My magic wish is that things change, not at the school level, but at a higher level. And we have this trust and genuine, genuine, genuine investment in education.
1: It's not just about trust, is it? It's also about experience. Surely, Mm -hmm. surely there should be experience of, of what you, kind of leading um is Mm. it in canada where you have to like to be the education minister you have to work in education all that i'm sure it's canada um that makes so much sense to me (laughs) Mm. because you you understand what what you're actually dealing with then don't you
2: yeah and it comes back to empathy as well in terms of you know that that's probably one of the most important things that teachers have to try to teach or to develop in children is empathy, and I mm. think you know that's you know, never mind. You know, never mind bodmas. Bodmas is important at that age, but ultimately it's about empathy. And mm. I go back to my teaching career. So, Bowling Park Primary School um, in Bradford, and then we worked alongside Mick Waters, who's like a legend in my eyes. Education. He's just like one of my go-to gurus. And there were three aims at the school. And the three aims were about um, making sure that the children were um, successful learners, confident individuals and responsible citizens. And unless the teaching didn't revolve around those three aims, it wasn't worth teaching. And I think that's what we need to come back to. We need to come back to our our core values. And I think they're pretty three cool core, core, core values to have.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Where do you think education's going in the next 10 years?
2: Oh <laughs> it's kind of weird in terms of short term. Um short term, you know, there was a lot of social media coverage about English and maths only for two terms. Mm. Um restricting the secondary curriculum. Um but then you look on social media and there's probably more school leaders now than ever before who were saying no. Mm. Um
3: For those of you who are, I've just
2: just realised this is a podcast and I've put my hand up as a no. Um, (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, Where was it? In terms of, yeah, there there are people now who are beginning to realise that maybe now is the chance to change and now is the chance to follow our core values. Uh, Whether or not that's allowed is another matter. Um, Yeah, that's a, a political answer that I'd better not answer at this moment in time.
1: I think I think at the moment um, schools are are being encouraged to follow their own curriculums, which Mm. I think is a positive, a positive sign. Even though as a parent, it feels like it has been a lifetime. It does confuse me when when they're saying, oh, the the generation, I'm thinking, well, how many years is in a generation? You know, Mm. how many weeks has it actually been? It's Mm. it's not. That big a deal? I, I, I personally don't think. I think we'll be fine. We just need to not expect that we're going to have results tomorrow.
2: Yeah. And somebody somebody said to me the other day um and it, about a catch up curriculum, and it's not about catch up curriculum. Why not just continue where we left off?
3: Yeah.
2: And just you know naturally progress. And there's I've mentioned Ryan Ellis who does the P podcast, and he said. The other day in terms of you have to think long term this is a long game we have to play the long game and it's all about that trajectory it's not about the results that are happening now it's about that long-term tra- trajectory and i do think that's it, it, he's one nugget of wisdom or one pearl of wisdom after another and the other one that he keeps on talking about recently is the fact that it's it's what was the term he uses he says uh faster alone but further together And I think this is where we are in education. We need to work together. We need to work collaboratively. And we need to share that good practice, whatever the good practice is, not the good practice that's dictated or Mm. whatever from above. We need to learn from each other. Yeah.
0: It's actually,
1: you know, I I talked to um, somebody else about this on the podcast the other day. You know, when you try and potty train a child at 18 months and they're not not able, uh, Mm. well, they are able, but they're not really ready. And then... A child at three, um, if they've waited that long, could learn in a few days. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like there's something in that anyway. So in year six, we basically cover everything from year three anyway. Mm -hmm. So the children are slightly older, they've had time at home, they've learned new skills. I just think it's not, like you say, just pick up where we left off Mm -hmm. and we don't have we might not spend as long on some things we might just be surprised
3: yeah
1: you know but I suppose we the the problem is is that it's a test and we don't like tests in that way we don't like mm-hmm. tests where we figure things out we only like tests where we yeah. figure out what we can do yeah I mean okay. d-
2: don't get me wrong I'm not anti-testing the testing is there for a reason and it does actually you know encourage children in certain respects but I just just don't get the bonkersness of it all in terms of all that emphasis on key stage two sats only for the kids to be tested in year seven at the mm. start of year seven with a cat test. what's the point of that
1: yeah and and secondary i mean I used to be a secondary teacher um and and I know that they don't believe that um the the breadth is there and and perhaps it's not, but this is where they're not really aligned, and that's because mm. we're rushing to in primary, to to get the results from the SATs, um, yeah. so perhaps if that wasn't there, maybe they could be um, more aligned. Who knows? Um, I I don't profess to know. So. Um, who was your favourite teacher at school and why?
2: From when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. That was a long while ago. <laughs> <laughs> can I, can, I, can I choose somebody who I've seen nowadays? Uh...
1: Yes, if you can't remember.
2: No, I can't remember. Um, probably the very, very best teacher was at primary school. He was called Mr. Parnaby. I then found out his first name was David. He's probably no longer with us, sadly, um, but he was somebody who was able to give children the chance to tap into um, what made them. And I always remember him giving us the opportunity to, to do a topic, and the topic was on our choice and we could do the topic and present our findings in a different way and he knew that me and my friend were working on this topic and he just said I think what you've done is brilliant but you could re- you could um, uh, demonstrate in a different way so he gave us a tape recorder and we were able to tape and record it in a radio sort of format. Your very first so that- podcast well yeah oh my goodness i I, i'm hoping that tape doesn't exist anymore but i think it was it was that 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 that. again it comes back to a teacher putting trust in the child Mm. and encouraging the child to develop that creativity element so yeah david Parnaby, okay in south yields
1: thank you and um finally what did you want to be when you grew up
2: (laughs) okay um Obviously a footballer, because I was growing up in Tyneside and my my heroes were there every Saturday. Um, Then when I realised that I was going to make the grade, um, 55, uh, no, that's a joke. Um, (laughs) When did I... Then you
1: wanted to be a YouTuber then, right?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, I think when I was growing up, I wanted to be, I wanted to work in the Forestry Commission at one time. So that's the environmental side of things Mm -hmm. I wanted. i think a photographer or a filmmaker definitely something behind the camera rather than being in front of the camera i love that that aspect to record and interpret and then ultimately to share so yeah that's what i would have liked to have been
1: there's still time
2: yeah <laughs> thank you <laughs> you're so generous in your praise thank you
1: well you've been um... I mean you were you told me you were writing for the bbc anyway
2: uh there's a different i mean i I look at that bbc bite-sized stuff that they put out you know and it was a case of like how much content they turned around yeah for all ages different abilities subject wise and you had like people working behind the scenes they weren't They were connected up via Zoom, and then the studio presentations—limited studio capacity there. But
3: they, yeah, I mean,
2: yeah, yeah, definitely the man behind the camera, not in the front of it. Yeah, that's it.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast today. I've um, I've learned a lot, and also it's been good just to just to have a chat about education and and moan about a few things. I think tonight Mm -hmm. I've moaned. a little bit, and so have you, but it's been good and probably what is on a lot of people's minds right now anyway. So thank you so much.
2: No, thank you very much for the invitation. The next time we meet, uh, I'm buying the coffee and it's going to be a real coffee, not a virtual coffee. Okay.
1: Oh, thanks. I really like Costa, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) Thank
0: you. Thank you so much for listening. We definitely got a little sidetracked there, but I know that the best podcast episodes are the ones where you feel that you're eavesdropping on a really interesting conversation. Well, they are in my opinion anyway. I hope that you've taken some ideas away for games that you could create with numbers and letters to consolidate learning or even practice new skills, especially in English and maths. I think the main thing that I took away is that you can set the activity up as it would be in the classroom. So writing sentences, for example. And the physical part doesn't have to actually be related. And I feel like maybe I didn't realise that before. It's just added in as an extra. Because when you know that that exercise is helping brain function, it doesn't really matter that there's a minute of running before writing the sentence and a minute of running after writing the sentence. It just makes sense why you're doing it. You'll find everything that Bryn and I talked about in the show notes, including a link to his TEDx talk. And if this is the first time that you're listening to The Teacher's Podcast, then remember to subscribe and do explore the other episodes as I've had some truly inspirational and knowledgeable guests. It's a really great time to tap into some free CPD and you can also join me in The Teacher's Podcast community on Facebook. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teacher's Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high-quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk